Oh man, I really need to stop talking about how great that hold music is. It's so <laughs> good. Okay, maybe you should just record it next time. Because... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait. How do I record the hold music if I'm if it? I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out because I feel like everyone needs to hear it. It's just so nice. <laughs> oh, goodness. So how are you? Oh, pretty good. Yeah. 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 Just hanging out with Quillerin and his stories oh and his his many stories his many many stories well welcome back to paranormal captivity this is your cozy mystery fix the cat crime solving podcast you never knew you needed mm-hmm. do you, you have an ice clicking i was just gonna <laughs> i was just gonna ask if you had gotten a drink <laughs> Yep, I chose gin and tonic. Oh, perfect, perfect. <laughs> it's still happy hour time. It's not tea time yet. Oh, no, no. I haven't even reached happy hour time yet here in California. I'm, I'm already on my maybe second glass, maybe one and a half. I haven't really been. I usually, when I drink wine, I get to like, there's like a sip and a half left. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm near the end. And then I refill it. So I lose all track of how many I have. <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> um how's Ari mom told me that Ari was not seeming uh, to feel good she's so sad oh so Ari yeah I know I don't really know what's wrong we think it's the medication that we've been that I've that I've been giving her <laughs> so she had to go on I was gonna try to say the name of it but I don't remember I don't know the names of medications you should she had to go on <laughs> you should still try though it'll be fun it starts with a c clodidec Clitodextrin. <laughs> Sounds right to me. Clamoxicyclone. <laughs> I, I was hoping you'd say clamoxygen, like oxygen. <laughs> like, oh no. Oh, so she was on something. Was it for her gums? So she, yeah, so she was on something for her gums, but I looked up the side effects today because she hasn't been eating. Aww. And one of the side effects, well, couple of the side effects were vomiting and loss of appetite and oh. I was like, oh. <laughs> so <laughs> so exactly what's happening to her perfect Let's you probably got the culprit doing... yeah stop with the the pills i'll just brush her teeth with regular toothpaste oh my cat god toothpaste. you should never brush your cat's teeth with regular toothpaste wait is that a thing you can actually brush your cat's teeth with do they have like cat toothbrushes they have so I went on Amazon hashtag not sponsored. Uh, <laughs> oh also not an ad, but if you want to sponsor us, that'd be great. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> um, so I went on Amazon and got basically for anyone who has ever brushed a like infant's teeth before, oh. they have um, like little finger scrubbies that you like stick on your finger and it has like a little brush on it. Interesting. Wait, how do you know how to brush an infant's teeth? Well, I bought them and was like, look how cool these are. And Marlon was like, yeah, I use those all the time. Oh, uh, <laughs> everyone else in the house was like, uh, we have children and we know what these are. Yeah, we, Got it. we know exactly what those are. You're like, well, I have children too. It's fine. So yeah, well, I'm going to use them to brush my cat's teeth. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm glad she, so she's off the meds now. So she's hopefully going to like start eating again soon. 
hopefully getting better. Yeah, I've been. This is gonna sound so sad and pathetic, but it it is a little bit. <laughs> but it just is. So we're just gonna have to deal with how sad and pathetic it is. So I'm, I'm like really stressed out that she hasn't had like any water in 24 hours. Oh, so yeah, I've been like that's hard. syringing. Oh, water oh. oh, Ari. You're right. That does sound really sad. Oh, well, I hope she's doing okay. very well. And, and also, like asterisk on this for asterisk on this for uh-huh. everyone. You guys have such a great backup in Virginia because mm-hmm. our mom's best friend is married to, and at this point, like our mom is like really good friends with also the vet. To the point that, like, mm-hmm. now when I go to a vet, I'm like, you're great, but, like, why do you seem so alarmist all the time? But, like, we just got, like, the insider, like, vet treatment all of our mm-hmm. lives. So it is kind of cool because you could probably call, like, Kim or Mike at any time and just be like, hello. Um, hey, your uh, medication that you gave me isn't working. Yeah, right. It's also a little bit his fault. So he definitely is going to come over to your house and just be like, uh, yes, here. Yeah, I can't really remember if he, I think he, he did mention some side effects, but he also gave them to me and was like, oh, cats usually deal really well with this. Obviously my cat is a special cat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Your cat is definitely not, Ari in particular is not quite the typical, the typical cat. Although she is like such a survivor. Like she's just such like a, like a champ. Like she just came through Maine. She's like a, like a true, just like you know wwe yeah. like holding a belt over her head type like <laughs> champion but main free yeah <laughs> yeah you main think free going she... on going on two years now oh right? she's in main remission main remission oh well i hope yeah. she yeah keep me up to date i hope she is feeling better by you know now but like you know yeah soon. well i i do this is also gonna sound a little sad and pathetic but this could mean she's getting worse or in my opinion this could mean she's getting better okay so i went downstairs just now and she was like so sad like flat pancake passed out in mika's bed just like curled into a little ball and also like flat again just like as flat as you can get while you're curled into a little ball Oh, and I was like, no, poor Ari. And I went over and like started petting her and she kind of like meow and then like started purring. And I, was like, oh. and I was like, oh, no. But earlier today, she was like in the middle of the TV room on the carpet, just like loaf sitting, <gasps> you know, yeah. and, like sleepy face, but like obviously very uncomfortable and like couldn't Aww. actually go to sleep. So I'm taking it as a good sign that she's like real passed out right now. That's true. Yeah, because it probably means that, like, maybe earlier she was, like, maybe coming, at, like, off of the meds or, like, you know, her body was really fighting. And now that she's actually, like, sleeping, that probably is a good sign. Yeah, I think that's a good sign. Because, like, every time I get sick, you know, there's always a point where you're, like, too uncomfortable and you yeah. can't sleep. No, totally. And then you get to the point where you're just like, bye world, I'm out. Yeah. And then you wake up and you feel 100% better. You kind of come out of it, yeah. I, should, I also want to say, too, that, like, her purr is, like, so intense and great. And actually, I have a recording of her purr. <laughs> Maybe I'll put that in, like, right here. Right here. Right here? Right here. Yeah. Right here? Her purr is great. And as soon as she started purring, she's in the sunroom right now, which is like 
kind of off to the side of the house but I walked back into the house and you can hear it like through the living room (laughs) oh yeah it's very loud like I would hear it because the way I heard it when I was home in uh, July was that I was in the green room I heard it through the wall like she was in that little like bin that mom has for all the like winter uh stuff and you could hear it like through the wall and I like came out and I was like what is that I was like oh my god Ari is not only like sitting adorably (laughs) in the like gloves but she's purring enough that the vibrating the house (laughs) (laughs) well I also had a cat scare not quite as that's really intense like not not eating is like really scary but today Franklin and this is like literally the stupidest like I'm a little bit like maybe I should not even tell the full story like maybe I'll cut this out (laughs) later (laughs) but um so John is in back at home in Massachusetts right now and so he had texted me and of course he's like so obsessed with the cats that he was like texting me like send me cat pictures I miss the kitties like send me (laughs) pictures so I had just sent him pictures of Murphy who is his one true love and then I was going to send pictures of Franklin and Franklin was laying on my desk and I should have fucking known because he does this all the time but he so as I was taking the picture he was like he definitely like noticed I was taking the picture and then was like rolling around and looking all cute Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm, he mm -hmm. fell off the desk because he rolled so far to the corner and I went to grab him but like I couldn't get to him in time because I had my phone. I like, I'm a terrible cat owner. I like literally was just taking pictures of him. Felt so bad. And so as he fell though, he fell on his feet, but as he fell down, the chair was just positioned in like a weird enough spot that he just clonked his head so hard and it was so loud. And I was like, oh my God, you're concussed. Like, I don't even know what to do. It was so sad. He like, he was totally fine. Like Mm -hmm. he, he walked away and was fine. But then he like, looked back at me and just like shook his head a little bit <laughs> I was like, no! I mean he's literally spoiler alert he's like asleep in front of me right now and like yawning at me so I've like watched him all this was like probably like six hours ago so I've like watched him for I even like our vet is so cool they have um, an app where you can like type to them like they basically have oh, like nice. on-call vets it's really perfect because I'm sure that this cuts down on like all the people like me who panic and like would call <laughs> normally just call the the vet's office and instead like there's this really cool app that you can just be like hi uh this like I always joke that like the vets that are on that call like they or you know on those um like on call for those like text chats will like leave and then just like talk to their fellow vet friends about like oh my god can you believe like this girl thought that her cat was dying because he like hit his head (laughs) on a chair like he's fine but yeah I felt so bad I just was like oh my god and then I was like I was being so stupid I was like wait, so, like, if cats have concussions, can they not fall asleep? They nap all the time. How am I going to stop him from napping? <laughs> oh, no. I'll follow him around with, like, a foghorn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, luckily, I did after I, like, it was, like, a couple hours, and I had, like, followed him around. He, so I was, like, kind of, like, okay, I think you're fine, but I'm still going to watch you, obviously. He definitely got really interested in, like, everything I was doing, because I started pulling out all my Halloween decorations. <gasps> Halloween! Halloween! And I put up this, I had this one like um, skeleton, just like a skeleton thing that was, I was like tacking to the door on the inside and um, I just tacked it up perfectly. And I was like, oh, look how good this looks. I'm so great. I just did this thing. And he, I like went to sit down and then he took just, I looked over and he was, did one swipe and it just went flying across the room. And it was, like, broken. Like, it just was, like... I also gave up on it a little bit. So I was, like, there's no way he's not going to do that 1,000 more times. And I'm just not going to fight this fight. (laughs) 
No. You should just take it apart and hang the different phones, like, all over. Oh, that's a really good idea. Yeah, I really should do that. I know how to cat-proof things. Uh, yeah, you really do. <laughs> um, oh, my God, but Halloween is the perfect segue into oh. our book for today, because this Cat is our... Mysteries. Whew, our ramp-up to Halloween. I think we probably will do uh, a Halloween special. <gasps> Halloween special. Yeah. yeah. Well, we are... I am... I don't want to speak for you, but I am so freaking excited about Halloween. I yeah. cannot even handle myself. Uh, Halloween is so much fun. <sighs> I also, so not to, I feel like literally every time we've recorded, I've talked about my favorite local bookstore, the Iliad. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone who's listening, mom, you should go there. <laughs> it's so good. And I think they're just really into Halloween because every year they have a, a specific like you know, 2016, 2017, 2018 Halloween shirt that they commission a local artist to do. And I'm so excited. We just took in a bunch of books to like sell back to them. And so I have, I have like a $20 store credit that I'm a hundred percent going to go back. I like literally called them in (laughs) August and I was like, when does your Halloween shirt come out? And she was clearly so like, Oh my God, we're just like just doing it now, but thank you for asking. And I was like, Oh, I'm clearly (laughs) the first person to have like eagerly talked about this. Yeah. They're probably like, Oh my God, it's a thing now. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure that. Yeah. I probably made her day. I'm really excited. Mm -hmm. Um, So Halloween is upon us and we are talking about the whole, like this book is like such the crux of, the whole reason I feel like we wanted to even start this podcast because it's like ghosts and cats ghosts and cats well ghosts in quotation marks spoiler alert I was actually really impressed with it I really thought that this book 100% was going to scooby do it at the end and it was going to be like pull off the mask and it was going to be you know like 100% a human answer Mm. which it kind of was but it also really left it open in a couple different places to be like there are a couple things that weren't really explained it's true they did talk about ghosts quite a bit although they did scooby-doo it at the end (laughs) they did still kind of scooby it was a kind of a combination like i liked that it was like like at least not just one whole thing of like there are no ghosts and here's the answer which scooby-doo would do but mm-hmm. I did love that it was like there was still a couple little places. Although I will say, so mm-hmm. I do think this was maybe my favorite book so far. I think so too. Really? Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm glad we read the last one, the cat who knew Shakespeare, because it you needed to to read this yes. book. Like I no longer think that you can read them in whatever order you want to. Like, yeah, they actually do build on themselves. Yeah, a little bit. But I definitely think I liked this one better than The Cat Who Saw Red, which is funny because that one was the one who won the award. I know. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, I liked this one a lot better, too. And I think you're right. I think it's because you can see more of like, you know, the characters you start to see in this one how the I know last time we were complaining about the ancestry and like this one yeah. has this here too, but it's at least done in a way that's like you kind of start it's- to see how there are two mysteries in every book now that it's like the old timey yeah. mystery of like things that then influence the things that are happening now. Yeah. And this one, it, it just made more sense. And I was kind of wondering halfway through because the last book left so much of the historic mystery open-ended. Mm-hmm. They talked about it, but nothing ever really came of it. And it was kind of like these loose threads that you're just kind of like, I don't understand what the point of this was. And I was kind of wondering like, did she write this book 
because she knew that she wanted to do a sequel in the first place and like she had you know these ideas that she started in one book and was like okay I know I'm gonna like wrap this up in the next one or did she write this book because she was like well I already have some loose threads I may as well write a book on it that's true yeah it's too it's really too bad that she has passed on because yeah I would like love to talk to her about like what she I mean, just about, like, A, her life and her cats, but also, like, yeah, what, yeah, exactly, what motivated her? We could, we could also ask her if she wanted to be a romance novelist and her thoughts on sex, but we'll never know. We'll never know. It's gonna haunt me until I am a ghost. This also is maybe the bitchiest Quillerin we've ever seen in this book. (laughs) I was, yeah, I was so appalled by, like, a lot of things in this book in terms of... (laughs) Quillerin's behavior. His behavior, like, the relationships in general, the, yes. like, blatant sexism. Yeah. Should we start talking about it? Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about it. Whew. Okay. Where do we even start? Okay. So, we start with chapter one. It kind of starts out with a bang. Like, in ch- it's, like, right away, pretty much, in chapter one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? It starts off, I feel like Quillerin has really, like, hit his stride, too, because the his beginning description is pretty you know like i think they even use the word content yeah for him yeah which like yes which is not a word i would ever associate with him in the past yeah so he's dating polly still he's being rich and not like super cranky about it mm-hmm. he's like living large and like biking around that's true he's in... doing like a lot of exercise in this too which i mean like and when yeah. i say exercise it's like very light exercise that like i would do like bike around the block or like walk half a mile right. and go back to his but house. like i think this is the first book where i do see him as more of a like eligible bachelor type as opposed to like seeing him in the other books as kind of like who's the actor that played harry potter's dad <laughs> harry potter's dad like, oh harry potter's uncle oh shit um i don't know the actor's name but uh vernon yeah is that his name uh-huh. yeah that's kind of how i i pictured him in the last books but this time that's pretty I'm aggressively him... awful that's not quite as awful as i was picturing him <laughs> yeah but this, this one i see him as more of you know similar but maybe like a little bit broader shouldered you know not so pot bellyish mm-hmm. just like a little bit more like he seems to be like you know like a, a nice salt and peppered Man of the fifties or whatever era this is. Um, who, so if man he, of his fifties because he's fifty. That's true of his fifties. We still are kind of unclear. It doesn't really specify the actual time period in which it's taking place. It's written. This mm-hmm. book is written in the in nineteen ninety, I believe. So we don't know specifically what it's. We're kind of led to believe it's around the same time frame mm-hmm. as when it's written, um, because the way they're talking back generations and yeah, yeah, that's true. So if you thought of Quillerin as Vernon Dudley from Harry <laughs> Potter initially, who do you picture him as now? Because I I just imagine like a spectrum of like from Vernon Dudley to Paul Rudd, and like where is he now in the middle ground? Because I feel like Paul Rudd. Paul is like... Rudd. No, no, I would never. No, I'm sorry. I should have yeah. qualified that. I would never <laughs> say that he is Paul Rudd, but like I feel like that would be the aspirational like. If we liked him mm-hmm. that much, like he's never, yeah. I mean, I will never say never, but he's clearly not there now. Paul Rudd is right. like an ideal. <laughs> so I, I think I'm picturing him as like a older gray version of Richard from Friends. Oh, isn't that um, Tom Selleck? I think, yeah, 
like kind of suave mustache because he does right yeah you're right or, mustache or maybe, yeah. maybe like a maybe like a burt reynolds because oh, like isn't he gray r.i.p burt R. reynolds r.i.p burt reynolds yeah yeah but he's like He's like kind of a Tom Selleck-y character. I could certain, I could definitely see him as a Burt Reynolds. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we'll keep brainstorming, but I do feel like Tom Selleck is a great, a great pick. Um, okay. Sorry. I immediately derailed us by uh, celebrity talk. So in chapter one, so we're, so we've gotten a, a little bit of maybe a healthier ish Quiller in. he's a little bit more content in his circumstances. He has definitely settled into the, um, the life in Moose County and pickaxe mm-hmm. and his role sort of as the the eligible bachelor the person who is um uh sort of the benefactor of the town because he you know has all this money and he's created i don't know if we mentioned this in the previous books but i find it funny he so he's created this fund um f-u-n-d this it's called the klingenschkone fund mm-hmm. um i'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it but that's what i'm gonna say you know, basically, if anything happens in the town, he is like, oh, the Klingenschkone Fund will, will handle that. Or like, and my favorite line is, is it, actually, I think in this book, when he's like, the Klingenschkone Fund would love to handle that. Like, he does like a little like <laughs> hand place on top of someone else's hand and like a comforting like, oh, the Klingenschkone Fund will get that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So yeah, chapter one. So, uh, so RIP Mrs. Cobb, because pretty yeah. immediately we get the news that so Quillerin, um, he is called late at night by Mrs. Cobb and she is frantic. So she's living now in, if you'll remember the good winter family, they have, uh, so I think junior is now the only, well, so he has his siblings, but they are the only living good winters. Correct. I think so. Okay. Um, so I think after gritty died in the last book, uh, the, the good winter farmhouse, was turned into a museum with all of their like printing presses and like it actually sounds really boring because when it goes through later in the book what is actually in the museum it's like pillows from the 1800s and like mm-hmm. bed sheets and like it it sounds like a real snore fest but yeah not to take away from mrs cobb because she is a badass historian and like knows all of her shit about every there are some really great like descriptions of beds in this and like descriptions mm-hmm, of like mm-hmm. there's like something called like a what's the bed that that he sleeps in oh you know i didn't write that one down but what he gets willed in her will is written down and it's exactly what you think oh. it is. i had to google it oh great okay perfect <laughs> So yeah, so she is living alone in this big like historical farmhouse that's being turned into a museum. So there's like a cutoff. So like she has like basically an apartment type part of the house. And then the rest of the house is like a, like a working museum. Like people will come in, do chores and leave. And then she like has an office there, but then she also lives in the same area. And so, she, or like in the same house, but in a different area. And so she has been really like over the last it comes to light over the last like I think couple weeks she's been hearing these really scary noises like they describe it as like moaning and screaming even Mm -hmm. um and just like knocking on the walls and you find out later that Mrs. Cobb is herself like a little bit superstitious so she already believes that there could be ghosts 
but she was always really happy about them. That's like she and, was, which I love. Yeah. I love her. Oh, R.I.P. Oh, poor Mrs. Cobb. But yeah, you do. So in the coming chapters, you meet her son and you get to read some of the letters that she wrote to him. And in the first one, she was talking about the knocking and was like, I think we have a ghost. Like, how fun. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Oh, my God. She's such a gem. Yeah. Ugh. But obviously did not did not last no. because in this first chapter she calls Quillerin very frantic about these noises and unfortunately by the time he gets there she is passed on she is passed on and she has Quillerin um has sort of hit the nail on the head pretty immediately that she has actually been frightened to death which I think was mm-hmm. actually in the blurb that we read last time mm-hmm. um and he sort of walks into a bit of like a crime scene slash like you know one of those like like mystery type puzzle situations Mm -hmm. of like what's that ice cube one where if you find someone dead in the middle of the floor with nothing else and you're like oh is you know the ice cube factors in it's like he finds her dead in her kitchen which is really sad because he was on the phone with her and he had said okay i'm coming to you right now like pack your bag we'll take you to susan xbridge xbridge um yeah susan so mrs cobb and susan are starting a business together an antiques business because of all of this Mm -hmm. historical shit that she is doing Mm -hmm. um and she um is talking to quillerin and she's you know very scared and quillerin is saying okay i'm coming to you pack your bag i'll take you to susan's apartment and then at the end she's like i'm just so scared i'm so scared and he's like just you know drink a drink a cup of warm milk and so that's why when he finds her it's really sad because he finds her in the kitchen and she has just been warming up uh, a cup of hot milk like he's been following she's been following his like instructions until he gets there and then she is dead in the kitchen which is really sad and actually this is probably one of the only times I've really seen, I feel like we really see Quillerin sad about someone dead because he like, there's even a line that's like Quillerin pounded his mustache. Like he's just like so upset, which like rightly so, like they had a really special relationship and she is just like so sweet and wonderful. It's true. Although I did write down that in the first chapter, so it goes into like a weird first person narrative. It does. Yes. It's yeah. like threw me off a little bit. Mm hmm he's obviously like recounting this for some reason and the description that is in there of mrs cobb is like not super flattering no and it's so true that like as soon as lillian jackson brown is it's it's again it's that such a jarring thing of like you're reading you're having fun it's a mystery this is great and then it's like it goes into like a specific description of someone or i feel like it's like really specific instances and all of a sudden it's like Oh, God, do we have to do this, like, sexist thing again? Yeah, but it's also, like, a really, I don't know, because I feel like sometimes it happens with Quillerin, and, like, it's very much a, like, her take on, like, a man's version of, well, this, like, silly, frilly, you know, lady who is just, like, so desperate for a man, but you know what, I'll look past it and, you know, be friends with her anyway, but then there's, like, the other side of it where she turns female characters into like these really vicious like I know like woman hating like there's just that nuance of woman versus woman where like no one can be friends yeah well you know and that goes that goes through to like Quillerin's relationships and like Polly too because actually one of the things that I was I just don't believe this about this character like Quillerin always mentions kind of the worst this time (laughs) well and they turned her in such a like into such a like jealous well that's the thing yes I was just gonna say the jealousy thing that I was like 
Polly is too cool and too busy in like her own job to like be jealous about you, Quillerin. Like that's the one thing that I was just like, I do not believe that about this character. You know, like sometimes when you're reading something and you're like, I'm just gonna like believe this last part or like believe this part didn't really uh happen or like you know, <laughs> kind of are just like I just don't, it doesn't well, ring true. Character. It is, yeah. I don't like it. Yes, agreed. Yeah. So yeah, so Mrs. Cobb is found dead in her house mm-hmm. of fright. And then I forget exactly how he knows, but he or maybe she says it on the phone, but there is Quillerin does have the information that she has been so he has this like sort of crime scene situation set up where he comes into it, he kind of looks through everything. He also discovers that all of the lights have been turned off. Um, mm-hmm. which is very suspicious because he's like, she knew I was coming. Like the outside floodlight would be on, like the kitchen light would have been on. Like he walks in and even the room that she's in and has been microwaving her milk in, the light is turned off. And he's like, if you're, especially if you're scared, like you're not going to have the lights off. Um, yeah. So that's very suspicious. And then I forget exactly how he knows the information that she was looking out the window, the kitchen window. And saw something really scary out the kitchen window. I forget exactly how. Well, I think that's just the way that she was facing and oh, like died and fell. Maybe. Probably. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he assumes that she was looking out the window and saw something terrifying. Yes. Um, so he immediately jumps into action after this. He's like a little sad, pounces his mustache a little bit. <laughs> um, but then like he actually, he does a pretty good job of calling around and spreading the news yeah he actually right he takes like a really um like good responsibility here this is in theory not his first body that's true that is also true yeah he is a newspaper reporter at heart he like knows what to do so Mm -hmm. he like calls the police calls no the neighbors call him so this is where we're introduced to christy who is one of the neighbors um who calls because you know she's kind of up on a hill and looks down and sees the police, like the sirens and the ambulance. And so she calls and is like, oh, is everything okay? Obviously not. Christy, thank you. <laughs> Christy, no, it's not okay. Christy. No, Christy, it is not okay. So we're introduced to her. She comes back in several other chapters and is an important character. But we're also introduced to Vince Boswell. My fucking favorite villain of all time okay not of all yeah. time that's really aggressive but like the ima- i think i just love how much he's he annoys <laughs> like he is just the epitome of like anyone no one wants to be around and quillerin mm-hmm. in particular with all of his like really particular mannerisms is just like you can just like there's so many great scenes of quillerin just really passive aggressively not responding to vince in like yeah <laughs> Like, very much hating him from the beginning. I think yeah. it's actually this phone call. It, you know, he was on the phone with Christy, and he was like, well, she seems nice. Mm-hmm. And then, like, this other neighbor calls, and he's immediately like, I hate this person's voice. Yes! <laughs> yes, he's like, this person is an uncivilized cretin. Like, immediately, he's like, this person is the worst person I have ever experienced. And then he spends, like, that. the rest of the book being like, actually, one of my other favorite parts is when his car breaks down a few chapters ahead. Um, and he's like on his way to the funeral and he like needs a jump and, and I don't like, know why to call Vince. yeah I don't know why he doesn't call Christy but he calls Vince I guess maybe because Vince is closer and so mm-hmm. yeah he calls Vince and he like really grudgingly is like can you come give me a jump and like I'll be nice to you for a day <laughs> and like of course he does because he's been that's part of the thing too is that Vince has been like over eagerly like if there's anything I can do to help like apparently he has a very loud voice Quillerin is very annoyed by that 
amongst other things like he's a little bit meddling like always underfoot kind of thing just the epitome of the person that you just don't really want to be around kind of an energy mm-hmm. suck type person and so yeah he has to like get a jump from him and so he does of course this guy does it like more than willingly like aggressively willingly and then later Colin is like oh I owe him now like he's so grumbly about the fact that he like right. owes Vince now I have to be next to him yeah Damn yeah it. <laughs> oh and the other thing that's happening too so I think also in this chapter or maybe it's the next chapter so as Quillerin is like laying out all of the groundwork for the funeral and like arranging everything with Susan Exbridge who is Iris Cobb's business partner and also Larry Landspeak who I think is he's the cop I think you know I'm like pretty bad at placing like who is who yeah so I know he is important but I don't know what his actual role in the town is <laughs> yeah I know like recreationally he's on the um board of the historical society because mm-hmm. later he helps pick yeah. Iris Cobb's predecessor or um right a successor yeah. right in, in her job and so that actually factors into so while Quillerin is arranging this funeral he as we have come to know and love of this book of this book series Quillerin actually moves in he really immediately offers to move into the uh, apartment side of the museum to help Mm -hmm. keep everything underway to look up to make sure everything is like you know look over everything until uh, Mrs. Cobb's replacement is found as like the director of this museum um, and so that factors in later as a few different people are. It turns out Vince is actually one of the candidates for the job. And Vince is... He has been yes. living and working with uh, one of the, like, really old printing presses that no one knows how to, like, keep up or fix. He came in with that knowledge. And so he's kind of the expert on, like, one of their really old, valuable printing presses. Kind of, though. He kind of shows up and, like, no one really... I mean, up until this point, up until, like, chapter five, we assume he is the expert on printing presses. That's true. We don't know any (laughs) different until then. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. So he, um, you just sort of see him every day going into the um, the Goodwinter family barn. Um, mm-hmm. And he is, uh, you know, supposedly working and cataloging historical items there. So he supposedly is very qualified for the job as he's doing, already doing historical uh, sort of archiving work in the, ar- the Goodwinter barn. Meanwhile, Quillerin is doing everything he can, especially now that he lives there, to avoid Vince Boswell. And actually, we should also mention, mm-hmm. too, that Vince does have a family. He does. That, hint, hint, are weird. We, there's Okay, they're not weird. They're great. There's something Verona. mysterious about them. Mm-hmm. My other favorite part of this book is uh, any interaction Quillerin has with Baby. Oh my gosh, yeah. So Vince's wife, who we are introduced to as his wife, Verona, mm-hmm. and Baby, who is not a baby, is actually like a little toddler. She's like two. Yeah, she's got to be two at or least three. two, I would think, as if I know children's ages and like what they should yeah, be doing I, by whatever time. I but... also have no idea what children's <laughs> ages are. But, but, so take um, this with a grain of salt. <laughs> she's young enough that it is surprising that she's speaking in full sentences but also old enough to be speaking in full sentences right yeah because there are these really great scenes of like especially her and Quillerin together where like the sort of the normal like baby thing of being like what like what is your car like well your car's over there what's happening with your car or something and Quillerin is just like well what it's a car like don't you have a car and he's like I don't drive he's like why don't you drive they are truly 
excellent scenes. Like I, of anything else, I was just like, Lillian Jackson Brown, I think is at least getting her like sort of stride and like when she hits something that she thinks is funny, I think she really gets it. Yeah, we did learn very quickly how terrible Quillerin is with children. Yeah, and I think on every, I just was like looking through my book and I think in every one of those instances, I just wrote really big, relatable. Because <laughs> most of the time there are these really great jokes about how like Quillerin will always remember like a, like a friend's cat's name or a friend's like animal, but will always forget. Like I think it even says at one point when he's talking to, um, uh, I forget who he's talking to, someone else, like a friend of his that has another kid, it's not baby, you know, I, I remember this scene. I think it's the the cat expert that he keeps calling mm. about Coco's behavior, actually. Yeah, his secretary, who is also a cat expert. Yeah, and, you know, he gets on the phone and he's like, oh, hey, how's it going? How's the kid? And he's like, oh, I never remember the name. Or, yes. Like, it's a boy or a girl. Yes. Like, no. That's what it is. And he, like, adjusts <laughs> his vocabulary to be like, the how's your how is how's your, your child one? yeah yeah to like not say like a gender or like or a name yeah exactly it was really great okay so maybe we should go up to the funeral i think we've gotten kind of up to the funeral yeah so quillerin calls mrs cobb's son into town oh right yes that's important um, too he's also he's like kind of an important character like kind of not he probably could have been left out of this story he definitely seems more important than he becomes later yeah he really does he's like in the first part of the book but then he kind of like drifts away (laughs) so yeah how oh okay so intro to mrs cobb's son on the phone oh uh eulogy by a man because sexism (laughs) Oh, um, oh these, God, these yes. are all my notes that I wrote down for each chapter. Yeah, that um, part was, I wrote a lot of margin notes for that part. <laughs> so Quillerin moves into Mrs. Cobb's apartment, and that is the, you know, cue many meal thawings, the first of many meal thawings, yes. and comments on her cooking. Yes, because she has left, like, months worth of food. And I'm also beca- beginning to discover, too, that in these books, there's always some kind of conceit about, like, a new way to feed the cats if that makes sense so like in the last book it was um Hixie and her new um mm, fancy cat mm-hmm. food line of cat food frozen cat foods um and in this one the whole thing of it is that Mrs. Cobb has left so much food in the freezer and apparently she was so sweet and she used to like invite the cats over to the museum and so Quillerin would like put the cats in the wicker basket and like bring them over to Mrs. Cobb and she would um feed them different things she like and so she would like yeah but these foods what is stored in her freezer is not cat food no to point that out he's thawing and feeding them like lobster and meatloaf yes they eat meatloaf one night one night it was like chicken alfredo and i was like are they eating noodles like what is happening (laughs) (laughs) or like big hunks of lamb that he's eating himself you know like they get what he gets basically yeah it's so strange it's a very strange relationship that they have (laughs) okay i feel like we should plow forward we've really caught ourselves Mm -hmm. in just the pre-funeral yeah so that's basically it before the funeral we get to the funeral and um well actually it is it is not it before the funeral oh no to like (laughs) backtrack and like 
with the timeline. You've derailed this whole thing. (laughs) I've I've derailed everything. But this is, so chapter four is before the funeral. The funeral is not until chapter five. Oh, really? Yeah, the funeral comes late. But also, like, funerals are not, like, immediately after the person's death, you know? Like, it's usually on, like, Saturday and, like, her son had to get into town. And so, like, I can imagine there were, like, a few days in between. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. But in chapter four, so this is the first time we meet Verona and Baby when Quillerin is, like, plowing back into his driveway and he, like, almost runs this kid over because it's, like, in the dirt, like, trying to dig shit up in his driveway. And he's like, um, excuse me, child in my driveway, get out of the way. Chapter four is also when Quillerin is, like, continued to be annoyed by Vince, but this is where he is also annoyed as a rich person is annoyed to buy a suit because he is a pallbearer for Mrs. Cobb and finds out last minute that he's a pallbearer and doesn't own a suit. I truly was so mad about that. I was like, are you actually saying that these suits are overpriced? You have so much money you can't even factor into your head how much it is. And you're mad that you don't, you're not going to give the small businessman your money like i'm i'm sorry i'm like confused about what your actual motives were before with like the klingenstone yeah. fund because you clearly just want to give it to everyone in. just give it to the guy who's making just your fucking give it suit to the guy he also in a rush yes i was just gonna say that he had to expedite this whole process because he didn't think about it until too late which like isn't actually said in the book but is the case like he, he yeah. just didn't think about it until, until too late and then well also kind of i guess larry didn't tell him until the last minute yeah, but he was going to need a dark suit for the funeral anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like, what was he planning on wearing to a funeral? Well, he said he had a blue, like, a navy blue suit. But, like, also, if this is, like, one of your yeah. best friends slash employees slash... Yes. No, you splurge for... Everyone wears black. Yes. Especially in such a, like, a small town traditional, like, oh, I, mm-hmm. yeah, I was so mad about that. I was like, this guy that you fucking, clearly fucking love because he has the Scottish accent and your mom is a Macintosh, which you always say, and I don't really know what that means, but I assume it's Irish <laughs> or Scottish. <laughs> and you're not going to just, like, give him money? Like, I mean, he does. He does. But he complains yes. about how much it is. He's like, this he is overpriced. And I'm much. like, is there anyone else selling <laughs> yeah. this here? It doesn't yeah, matter. He, Pay him. <laughs> he, like, immediately goes into the store and is like, I don't want to spend too much. And the guy's like, hmm. Yep. Oh my god. So he did in fact get a suit. <laughs> he did in fact get a suit and this chapter is incredibly important because it is when William Allen comes in. <gasps> oh my god. I was gonna mention William Allen earlier and like make a ghost joke about how like William Allen came back as like luckily not a ghost but I totally forgot earlier. That was maybe <laughs> the highlight of this entire book for me was like and then, Julia, I was like, I meant to text you, but actually maybe it's better that I didn't because now I can scream at you on a podcast. Um, uh-huh. I was like, Julia was so fucking right because their explanation for it was exactly what you said. <laughs> exactly. It was like, oh. I mean, I know my cats. <laughs> it just was. It was just that he had like run away because like, right, cats probably see smoke and are like, oh, I don't need to be a part of this. And he just bolted. <laughs> Bye. Bye. And then I think it was, it was like a couple months later that he turned up and then of course the joke was that he turned up at the unemployment office which like oh, i'm sure uh-huh, that was not the uh-huh, case uh-huh. but like <laughs> i mean his god. place of employment was burned down that's true it was oh god his resident mouser status needed to be updated I in mean, another place of employment. listen i i am definitely not <laughs> knocking unemployment i'm just saying i mean I am not currently on unemployment, but I would be if returned Peace Corps volunteers were allowed to go on unemployment. It's like outrageous that they're not. 
Yeah, I mean, you're supposed to, like, have a plan because you know that your two years are going to come to an end. But, like, who has a plan? Uh, no one. No one has a plan. We're Peace Corps volunteers. We joined Peace We, like, purposefully sent ourselves to underdeveloped countries. Yeah. Like, Plus, like, you guys are doing more than, like, I have done in the past, definitely in the past two years. I've probably condensed, like, four years. So, like, get, well, give you a I bit think more. You're seriously overestimating <laughs> what Peace Corps volunteers do in country, but... I, you know, we still want services. I mean, you should also have services. Um, I also, yeah. to bring it back to the cats, I was just going to say, if Coco and Yum Yum are smart enough to be as, like, you know, crime solving and, like, you know, smart to, like, steal packs of cigarettes and hide them under the carpet, I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and say that George Allen could be smart enough to, like, figure out the unemployment system of whatever state Pickaxe is located in. Yeah, for sure. And if not, he was probably just looking at the office being like, that's probably a good office to work in. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, that looks warm in there. <laughs> yeah. I bet I bet there's mice in the whole building. <laughs> bet someone would feed me in there. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I have to stop again. I was just editing the last episode, and I had like paused to be like oh my god murphy is such a creep she's staring at me from the bathtub she is staring at me from the bathtub again <laughs> she's like weirdly like laying in the bottom of the bathtub and keeps poking her eyes up and like looking at me in the creepiest way what a weirdo she maybe she wants such a bath a weirdo franklin actually as a small diversion i feel like this episode has been nothing but diversions but franklin actually does like when i take a bath he will put his whole two front paws into the into the tub with me <laughs> Which John did point out is kind of gross because, like, if he walks in the litter box and then puts his paws into the... You know, it's a little gross, but it's also adorable. It's really cute, and I usually get out right afterwards. It's fine. Um, Okay, sorry. George Allen and his glory. He is back. George Allen is back. Yeah, he has mentioned once and never mentioned again, but we are glad that he's back. That's true. And I have to assume that he's mentioned in books down the line, too. You know, maybe. Okay, so then are we finally to the funeral? Uh, yes, we are to okay. the funeral. So the funeral, which is where we really get to see Quillerin shine in his babysitting abilities. Oh my god, that scene I think is one of my favorites. It's so good. <laughs> Basically, so what happens is this whole funeral is kind of like it's kind of streamlined. Like it's very fast. I feel like like he comes in, he compliments mm-hmm. Susan on having picked out the perfect outfit and nail polish for Mrs. Cobb. He sees Polly. He talks to his friend. Um, oh, shit. Is it Arch Riker who then is dating um, mm-hmm. Amanda? Okay. Yeah. She's very loud. And so mm-hmm. she and like likes to drink a lot, which already I'm like, I'm on board. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> sounds like the girl for me. I know. Right. <laughs> it's like perfect. So the four of them kind of talk a little bit and now they all pay their respects. Mm-hmm. And then there's a very intense interruption in which Vince reasserts himself and comes in just like blaring the horns like he is just like on point with his uh annoyingness and comes in like shouting about how there was no parking but also like being kind of sweet and like he's talking to baby and saying how great mrs cobb was to baby for like giving her cookies and being nice to her and showing her around the but museum still, like very loud because yes very loud person. but still being very right exactly so everyone's kind of like looking at him and giving him like the side eye and, and whatnot um vince and verona leave i mean they kind of just are all mingling so it's like fine like it's not anything like baby basically just like stays near quillerin and quillerin's kind of just like looking at her being like hello child what do what you, you want with me yeah and- i think one of my favorite i can't remember what baby says to him but i think one of my favorite responses of him is just like hmm, likely story yeah like who says that to a kid 
I mean, Quilleran says that to a kid. Uncle Quilleran says that to a kid. <laughs> Uncle Quill. <laughs> oh, God. He's such a doofus. And I do kind of love it sometimes. Just move on. Yeah, we're all going to move on. We're going to move on to drinks because then they go to drinks and they have like a... I think the biggest part of that drink session is just that we find out that Polly Quilleran does start asking around about ghost stories Mm-hmm. Um, because he, you know, is, of course, his mustache is twitching about the circumstances of Mrs. Cobb's death, mm-hmm. um, and he suspects foul play, but the only lead he has to go on is the idea that she was seeing potentially ghosts, or she thought she was seeing ghosts in the letters that he read from Dennis, her son, also saying that she was seeing ghosts, but also simultaneously that she was in poor health, leading also to the fact that she was scared to death. So Quillerin sort of slyly, kind of slyly, kind of not, like, brings it up to the group of being like, do you believe in ghosts? And then Polly, I think, pretty quickly is like, well, yes, like, it could potentially, like, I think they also, don't they start talking about, like, the history of ghosts within the town, too? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, Polly kind of brings up, she's like, I mean, think back through all of the ages, like, mm-hmm. it's in the Bible, it's in Shakespeare, oh, that's right. yeah. I mean, any, anywhere you look in history, you hear about ghosts, so, like, why would you just have God, all of these she... people, like, say something, have something to say about she it? She does not deserve her. She is so fucking cool. <laughs> she's so logical. She's so logical <laughs> and so smart. Oh, my God. Anyway, so, yeah, yeah. so she brings that up. And he's like, oh, I thought you were more down to earth than that. She's like, hmm, well, you know, fuck off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And then I think doesn't, I think also Amanda brings up, um, because it turns out we didn't know this until I think this drinks, that actually Amanda is a part of the Goodwinter family. And so she actually. But she's also like really into like hating them. Yes. Yeah. Because I think she, I mean, her last name is not Goodwinter. And so she. I think, you know, yeah, definitely does not, it was not into that, that side of the family, um, but is definitely related to them. And so she starts coming up with like some of the, doesn't she, I think she brings up the ancestry again, just like yeah, really, she's, like, really worked up about Ephraim. Oh yeah. Ephraim. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm saying that right. The like grandfather who cursed the whole family by like killing 32 minors accidentally. He was trying to like you know, run his business. Save a buck. Shoddily and unsuccessfully did terrible things and killed 32 miners in an explosion. Yeah, which that comes back in the story too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was in the last story, but it's like more important in this one. Yeah, and then the way too. It's like as soon as they said, as soon as they mentioned that name again, I was like, okay, I know I like didn't pay attention to this whole backstory (laughs) in like an entire other book, but like this is coming back. It's obviously important. They also make it, I mean, it is true too that it's easier to follow in this book too. I mean, maybe also just because I love ghosts and it's built around like ghost stories um because i mean a little bit farther down the line but the bellhop from the new pickaxe hotel that is not new that our old pal harold noyton stayed at last time in the Mm, new shakespeare mm -hmm. um r.i.p r.i.p but mitch mcconnell is still alive the best the um not best boy the reception desk worker um is back good guy mitch good guy mitch we like him yeah he's good yeah he's pretty great and so he comes back in this and later down the down the line tells a ghost story which we hear a couple different times throughout the book of um which is actually kind of cool it's a story that over the same in the same area where the bridge is where junior's father was killed in that same bridge area that's apparently just a really weird you know spooky area 
that's around the same area where the old mine used to be, I think. And that is where they see the ghostly specters of like 30 different people, the uh, people of the town. Assume. 32. Oh, 32. So sorry. So sorry. That comes up a couple of different times that like people see mm-hmm. these miners um, around Halloween, which we're around Halloween now. It's early October in this. And when you say tells the kids tells the kids at the museum because he also like volunteers there and is one of the people up for iris cops yes around this time we discover that it's come down to mitch mcconnell and vince boswell to replace iris cobb as like the director of and it is true Mm -hmm. that mitch mcconnell is very young but also everyone likes him the kids love him like he's been giving tours there already but for Mm -hmm. some reason which hint hint clue clue some of the people on the historical board are very into yes important later yeah i did get annoyed when they were talking like the first time they were talking about it and they were like well mitch mcconnell like he's great he loves history like he's young and exciting and everyone loves him but you know like he probably wouldn't be a good fix you know those youngsters they like take a job and leave in a year oh i saw that yeah to be fair is like always my plan but (laughs) i'm also offended by it (laughs) I'm going to do it, but I'm also going to be offended. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, yeah, so I think that's how chapter five ends is they had their like ghost story powwow. Those four characters are Amanda, Polly, and Old Stone Mill, which they don't bring Hixie back, but I assume is still there somewhere. Yeah, she's probably around. But actually, Christy does come back in the end of this chapter because uh, Quillerin gets home and this is where she calls him to be like, your lights are dead or your lights are on, your car's probably dead. Yeah. And so that, you know, morphs into him needing to call Vince in the morning because his battery has died. That's right. And also morphs into his excuse to go meet Christy because he brings her something, something, oh, he brings her something like cookies from Mrs. Cobb's freezer Yeah. you for like warning him that his lights were on which i actually think is really nice no it is really sweet and he actually it's it was kind of funny because he spent like at least half a chapter of like debating about what to bring both christy and <laughs> the boswells because mm-hmm. he's like obviously hates the boswells but you know knows he's indebted to vince for jumping his car and also for yeah, he's christy. like flowers wine yeah from, he goes through with a list store, something from that store yeah. what do i get them and then like really defaults to like truly the most lazy but also the most valuable thing that he could give them which is fro- some of the frozen baked goods that mrs cobb has mm-hmm. already left in her freezer for him yeah i mean not which, necessarily yeah, for is... him but totally super lazy but also yeah very thoughtful and it sweet is very like, sweet yeah you know that is like those aren't gonna be replenished mrs cobb's gone it is true i mean they are truly really valuable in the same way that it's like i kept thinking like i mean granted we do around this time start suspecting that dennis mrs cobb's son is potentially having some kind of affair yeah. with susan but i also it was right before that that i was like Quillerin is taking a lot of entitlement with all of this food. He should probably maybe talk to, like, at least give something to Dennis because he's in town and be like, your mom is yeah, a great also, cook. Yeah, but Dennis is, like, kind of skeezy because Susan is, like, twice his age. Susan is, like, his aunt. We also don't find that out, I think, for, like, that doesn't really start to be suspected until 
I mean, we get the early on Susan is like, oh, what's he like? And Kuloran's like, he's disgusting. You'll hate him. And like, <laughs> of course. He's also married. Yes. Well, that's the like most child. thing. Yeah. He's a, he's very young and he is married and has like a really young kid, like, un, like younger than baby. Yeah. So like, you think it's kind of a joke that it's just like a Susan thing, like Lillian Jackson Braun, maybe just like painting women in more of like a romantically predatory way. But then it actually does become later, potentially. Yeah, like he stays a couple yeah, extra days it's and really... he's like making weird eye contact with her and yeah. Claire. It's like, what's going on, guys? Yeah. Um. Okay. Oh my God. Sorry, I spiraled us. I feel like we're yeah, we're like very. I derailed. We're so derailed. <laughs> <laughs> we're like only on chapter five. Uh, we're on chapter six now. Oh, good. Okay, chapter six. Um, so chapter six is important because this is where Quillorin goes to dinner with Polly and we meet <gasps> um, Boots. Oh, Bootsy, excuse and you. And we, we fully understand Qu- Quillorin's uh, hypocrisy with cat lady syndrome. Oh, Quillorin, this is where I just was like, Quillorin, you and I, you were dead to me. Like, I was so mad at him because first of all, he doesn't even want to go over to Polly's house because he's like, we read a like a sh- because he doesn't like curry which he is crazy curry is delicious curry is amazing and also I eat that every night. if you're making curry from fucking scratch that is fucking hard and you should appreciate polly for making you curry every night for however many yeah. nights granted it, apparently it was a lot of nights in a row that she was making him curry yeah which like no one wants to eat the same thing all the time but you know curry's great and also like stop degrading her cooking abilities i'm sure her curry is delicious it's also probably really healthy because if it has turmeric in it or like some of the other spices they're really fucking good for you um but yeah so he okay so he's already kind of grudging to go over to polly's house and then she has a little surprise for him yeah she has adopted the tiniest cutest siamese kitten but he is immediately judgmental from moment yeah, like she one. brings out a kitten and he's like i hate this yeah already. and it's like what the fuck is your problem you have to you know what i think a little bit of it is if we're gonna really analyze it is that he does let slip that he um adopted coco and yum yum later in their lives so part of mm-hmm. me thinks that he just like loves his cat so fucking much that he's actually a little bit jealous that she gets to see this cat from like so young and so cute an age and like really have that like not that coco and yum yum don't have a bond with him like obviously they have a really intense bond but like I mean, I know I adopted my cats a little bit older and like the idea of seeing them that young and cute, you know, I do like a little bit miss that. And like, I think part of it is just him not being able to handle his emotions, to be honest. Oh, yeah. No, totally. And I also think he's a little bit jealous that she is like so excited about this animal and it takes like a little bit away from him. That's true. It's so true. And he's like already kind of like trying to vie for her more of her attention than I think he's not 100% in love with the arrangement of them being so discreet. Like, I think he would, like, maybe a little bit more. But he also, there is, like, a little bit of, like, weird language about how, like, he doesn't like the way that she's talking to the cat. And he doesn't like the, he likes her a certain way. Like, he has a really specific idea of what she should be in his mind. he fell in love with the, like, intellectual part of her. And he can't handle the, like, motherly more like domesticated part of her which is probably why he hates her cooking and doesn't like when she is you know mothering this animal to death yeah yeah you know, he 
he likes her as like an intellectual partner and isn't really interested in anything else it seems that's true that's like a more succinct way than i think it was even presented in the book (laughs) yeah no they didn't explain it at all no he was just an asshole oh he was such an asshole like she would i mean in the same way i'm sure in the same exact voice as the way that i talk to my cats um he is like immediately like oh this voice is just grating on me and like i can't believe she's talking this way like put the cat away and like (laughs) she apparently a couple times like you know will put like puts the cat away into like a you know smaller little enclosure and then like you know but she's also just like so excited i know know? she's like i just want my kitten around which like i totally get (laughs) oh i have to admit it's almost a little bit of the like you know from the last book where he's like you know it didn't work out with rosemary because she didn't really like the cats i'm almost like polly do you have that same policy because he clearly doesn't like your cat so like yeah he's not getting along with this kid i 100 percent through most of this was like i think i even wrote in the margins a bunch of times like oh they're deaf gonna break up (laughs) yeah for sure over this cat. yeah yeah like literally over this cat yeah, so what happens after that? There's, like, a whole middle range that I kind of forget until the ghost um, experience so at Christie's. Kind of, so while he's over at Polly's, they she brings out the kid, and she's so excited about it. And then he changes the subject really quickly and is like, oh, by the way, I think Mrs. Cobb was murdered. Oh, and that's when she yeah. was like, oh, shit, yeah, okay, I'll put the cat away. Um, but, yeah, they talk about that for a while. He doesn't, like, really have an actual theory yet. He's just like, I don't think it was an accident. <laughs> So that, yeah, that's kind, of, <laughs> that's kind of it. That's kind of the end of their thing. Yeah. Um, and then it's either like the next day or pretty soon afterwards, Quillerin is called in to Mrs. Cobb's will reading because oh, he actually inherited something. That's right. He inherited a two somethings from her. <laughs> two somethings. Yes. Yes. <laughs> One of them being her cookbook, which I think is a, you know, very prized possession and very wasted on Quiller. Yeah, 100% wasted on Quiller. And, like, he's clearly not even cooking the entire time just because she left food for him. Like, this is not the fool that needs a cookbook. I mean, he needs yeah. a cookbook. He's not going to use a cookbook. He's definitely not going to use a cookbook. And then the second thing was a Pennsylvania German shrink. Oh, thank God that you wrote that down because that was one of my favorite things I was laughing about at the entire book. <laughs> and they mentioned and I... it so many times. They mentioned it so many times. They've mentioned it in previous books. They mentioned it a lot in this book. And I finally, as I was taking notes, I Googled it because I was like, I'm going to be the one to bring this up and I'm going to look like an idiot because I'm not going to know what it is. So now that's me. Because Thanks I'm a the lot. one writing it down. <laughs> um, so it's basically, I mean, when you hear the term Pennsylvania German shrank, shrank mm-hmm. I, like, I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's S-C-H-R-A-N-K. Yes. And they describe it as this, like, big piece of furniture that Coco likes to sit on or in or, you know, like, climb on. Yeah, I assumed on top of, but I I don't 100% know. And it's, like, basically exactly what you think it is. I Googled it, and it's, like, a giant... I mean, I don't know what to even think. Just, like, a a giant, like, wooden square wardrobe. Yeah, yeah, okay, true. Yes, I, I did kind of picture that, yeah. And when I say square, I mean rectangle because I know my shapes. Oh, yes, you do. We all know our shapes here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah. right. So, And that was the thing. Wasn't that the thing that Quillerin had given her as a uh, honeymoon or a, um, uh, that Quillerin had given her as a wedding present when she married he who must not be named Herb Hackpole? 
she who must not be named yeah i think that sounds familiar i think that actually is right he like auction or he bid on that at an auction was the only thing that he bought and he gave it to her oh okay yeah i mean that's basically the important part of chapter seven the the cookbook actually is like very valuable and there was i think it was susan actually who joked with him and was like i'll trade you what i got for that i know i was like you guys can't do a tradesies at a will reading (laughs) i mean do it later in the parking lot do it in front of the lawyer right Um, but yeah, at the end of this chapter, so there is there is more talk of ghosts and like miners and Ephraim and whatever because it comes up in every chapter. Yeah. Um, but the the chapter at or the end of the chapter, the like kind of cap of all of it was that like Coco mysteriously looks out the window again. Yes. And that that's kind of like another reoccurring theme is that Coco is no longer. I think he knocked like one book off. He did. Yeah. In this book, Which I was like, call back. His... Well, good work everyone yeah yeah but he's not he's not so into shakespeare this time he's into one particular pillow uh-huh. and staring out the window yeah so like every time quillerin opens the so because quillerin's living in this apartment there is still a, a divide between like the house part and the actual like museum part and so mm-hmm. quillerin is um he every now and then will open the museum part he usually keeps it closed so the cats don't go in the museum part but every now and then when he does open the museum part coco beelines for one specific area which involves a a really specific pillow that has a really boring backstory that i'm not even gonna like go into because but it is chicken feather which is why everyone was thrown off by because they're like he just wants chickens right which i was like that's a stupid explanation because it is like 200 year old chicken feathers like can, do you think a cat can re- <laughs> that is every dead molecule that has been dead for a felt like so much time like no that's not why he's doing that and also there were a couple times in the margins that i just wrote like especially because i sort of felt like the la- the theme of the last book was like quiller and not you know, listening to his cats as well as he thought that he should have. And, like, in this book, he's just kind of back to his old ways of being, like... I mean, he truly, he does, when Coco is staring out the window, which he does a number of different times, like, stares out the window that Mrs. Cobb looked out right before she died. Like, he is mm-hmm. very... That, I think, kind of piques his interest. But, like, mm-hmm. he does kind of... I mean, he does investigate into the pillow thing, but he also is very quick to be like, get back here, you rascal, and, like, brings him back as opposed to being like, maybe I should follow this genius cat and see where he leads me. <laughs> yeah, that would have solved a lot of problems. Yeah. <laughs> so are we up to Mitch and Christy and... um we are so the next chapter yes. we visit Christy. Yeah, oh god. And that's that is the entire chapter Quillerin's um, Day in the Sun. And it's it's a really <laughs> it's a really short one. So this is just the like Christy intro where he like brings her Mrs. Cobb's cookies or whatever he brings her from the freezer. Yes. Um he goes up there and he's like, Hey, you know, like you said, you know, like you had kids and she's like, Oh yeah, I'm a a goat lady <clears throat> and I live on this mountain by myself in this old like kind of run down historic family home and i raise goats and he's like oh my god you're so melancholy and you look like a lady in need i sense a story behind this like maybe in love with you i know he's like immediately in love with her also side note i was picturing the house from practical magic oh i can see that i was kind of picturing the like charmed house oh excellent yes 
both <laughs> and also both witch houses. That's true. <laughs> They're both kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Um, but yeah, yeah, she's great. She's like pretty immediately like and it, I mean, I kind of like too that she's not like you don't really get the the feeling that she's into him at all. It's just like, oh, you're no, my neighbor. No, absolutely not. She's it's like Quillen's like, obsessed with her. Yeah, Quillen's like immediately obsessed with her, and she's very much like, yeah, you can come interview me about my goats. I love my goats. Well, also, she's like a little bit. She's having money trouble too, and like mm-hmm. her mom died. It is kind of sad. Like she does have kind of a melancholy story. Like her mom died, and willed her the house the goats like all of this stuff and so she was like I just really want to make this work and so she is trying to make it work but she's not making a ton of money and so Quillerine like in like a judgmental kind of ish way keeps noticing like oh her whole like house is kind of falling apart and like you know he walks in and like I guess her mom was a hoarder and so they see you know just a ton of shit that like her mom left but also to his credit i know we're bashing cooler in this because he's being a weird creep but <laughs> yes he is. but to his credit he does walk in and immediately like recognize the historical value of That's it and true. is like oh this is actually something that my fund could help with and yeah that could be because he's like super into christy but i think it's also because like that is literally like what his fund is created for yeah and it is to help situations like that it is true that like this small town is just so into like historically categorizing like everyone's house yeah i also i'm gonna mention this because i want everyone to know that i don't know the (laughs) i don't actually know the difference between historic and historical and so if i use them incorrectly it's because i don't know wait is that oh god i don't know either you just made me really nervous there's a difference (laughs) i know it's a thing and people get annoyed by it (laughs) historians we're so sorry yeah so anyway yeah sorry historic and not historical or historical and not historic i am so sorry but i am going to use them (laughs) okay i just googled a definition great um because i i feel like it might be needed so historic Uh uh-huh means famous or important in history Uh uh-huh as in like an a historic occasion okay whereas historical means concerning history or historical events as in historical evidence. Thus, a historic event is one that was very important, whereas a historical event is something that happened in the past. Oh, okay. Right? Well, yeah, because they keep saying that, like, I mean, that's the whole thing with Christie's family. It's historic, historical, because her, it does turn out, there is a twist here, that it turns out that Christie's grandmother um, mm-hmm. had a love affair with, was it actually Ephraim or was it another Good Winter ancestor? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't remember. Oh, okay, fair. I mean, it truly, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. This is actually leading up to one of my favorite scenes of the story, is, which is, um, so Christy drops a hint while Quillerin is there that she, because um, Quillerin, again, is like kind of testing the waters with like, do you believe in ghosts? And Christy's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I fucking believe in ghosts. And she takes him up to this, like, really badass, like, turret in her house, like a tower-type, like, section of her house. And is like, this is where my grandmother or great-grandmother, I forget the exact relation, used to come up here because she used to look for her lover, her Goodwinter lover. 
And it was totally like the families were against it. No one liked it. I forgot the exact backstory, but they were really in love and they were trying to be together. And so Christy's grandmother would go up to the turret and would look out. And I think from the, cause they're so close cause they're neighbors, like currently they could see each other. Like there was some kind of like signal they would give each other and then they would go meet at the like local lovers lane. It's like a local lovers lane area, which is like near, it's near both of their houses. And um, it's like, I also buy a Creek too. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. That comes up in the next chapter. Oh, sorry. I'm ahead of, I'm ahead of the game. You're ahead, you're ahead of yourself. I'm ahead of myself. So the grandmother's name is Emma, Emmeline. Yes. Which I fucking love that name. I think it's so badass. Yeah. So Emmeline, you know, has this affair and then, I think it, it actually might have been Ephraim because I think when he died or there was something about whoever she was involved with went away at some point, either died or moved or, you know, whatever. Um, she actually had a baby. Yes, I thought that was, I didn't know if I'd made that up for dramatic purposes or if that was actually in my brain <laughs> for a reason. No, no, no. It, it, was an, it was an actual thing. So she had Great. a baby, which is, you know, how her line continued and how Christy came to be. She is a descendant of Emmeline and this, like, scandalous love child. Um, but then, so what happened to Emmeline is that she, one day, because of the scandal, and she just, like, could not take her family's oh, God, name being right. soiled. I forgot about this. She uh, walked up to the top of that tower and threw herself off dramatically. Right, because she couldn't be with Ephraim. Yeah, I because forgot about that. She couldn't be with him, but also, I think, because he was gone and she had this like scandalous love child and you know back in the day that means life is over and like even her family was like disappointed and kind of had their didn't really exile her but kind of had their you know their own opinions yeah their own like judgments their own judgments yeah so part of christy's life in this house is um her like I wouldn't call it an obsession, but she does have, like, a very strong connection, it sounds like, to this grandmother figure. And she yeah. sees Emmeline's ghost every time it rains. Um, Which is so fucking cool. And, like, yeah. it's kind of so, even brought up, like, she doesn't even really bring it up initially, but she gets caught because she says something like, oh, she's so beautiful after, mm-hmm. I think, having said, like, oh, I don't really have any records of her. And so Quillerin, to be fair to his, like, credit, he's like... Wait, how do, like, how do you know? And she's like, oh, you caught me. I see her every time it rains. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, so I she, know. Yeah, so she ends up seeing this ghostly figure of Emily and climbing the tower every time it rains and going up there and disappearing. Which is such a cool image. Like, it's so, like, kind of, like, gothic, like, revolutionary war type. It's not that far back, but I'm imagining it's that far back. <laughs> Yeah. And also kind of cool that she has this like relationship with this ghost where she's like, oh, what a beautiful being. Yes, right. You know, what a lovely, you know, image of this like tragic figure, because I feel like so many times in ghost stories, you see the like crying lady or like the white lady, lady in white or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they lose their baby or they lose their lover and then they like stand out in the middle of the road and like throw cars off of cliffs you know yeah they like relive that moment to the point that like they want to cause everyone else harm but you're mm-hmm. right this seems like a very positive like it doesn't seem like she's back on earth for any malicious purposes like if anything it's like she's trying to reconnect with her her um oh what's the like opposite of ancestor her like current ancestor. <laughs> 
her uh, offspring. Yeah, does not that... really her offspring, but her like her couple... descendants. Yes, her... descendants. Yes. Oh God, we're dumb. Yes, that's the word. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of this meeting, Christy has you know this beautiful story about her ancestor Emmeline, um, and then she gives Quillerin a Bible that's that right. was her mother's. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a, the Bosworth Bible, not her family's Bible, because she's like a fig tree or a fug tree. Fug tree. Yeah, yeah. Fug tree. Which is also a really cute name. Yeah. Um, so she gives Quillerin the Bosworth Bible, which her mother bought at an auction. She was like, I don't know, it seems like important. You can have it for like no reason. But it does it does end up being important in the end. It does, it does. The so in the next chapter, this part is like kind of not important. It's a little bit important, but I'm gonna mention it anyway because it annoyed me. Um <laughs> Quillerin, the chapter begins with Quillerin meeting Mildred for dinner. Oh yes. I hated this part. Yeah, I was so mad. I was like, you're such a fucking snake, Quillerin. <laughs> And I don't actually remember, to be honest, like, who Mildred was in the community. She's, like, someone's mother. Yeah, she actually might be Mitch's mother, to be honest, but I don't really remember. Like, she's so she's a, a high prominent member of the community. And I mm-hmm. think Quillerin also has gone to her for different... She's, like, a part of the... There's, like, an art show that comes up later that doesn't really matter, but is actually at yeah. the museum. So she like yeah the, yeah the disaster exhibit yeah right which I actually we should talk about that because that was actually really interesting in the same way that like the way that true crime has become such a phenomenon now and like also mm. like shows like Dark Tourist on Netflix like there just like is such a like a movement now for people being really interested I mean I think people have always been interested in disasters but I just read that mm-hmm. and I was like whoa this is so interesting because this is happening at such a bigger level now than I think it was in the nineties. Yeah. I just thought it was so but interesting. In like, kind of a weird town like Moose County where they are where everything is like every building is a museum. Like I can yeah. see it being, like a, an in thing even back then. Oh really? Cuz I was thinking the opposite of like in small towns sometimes you like it seems like people would rather you know suppress big terrible things to just be like we're all fine everything's fine you know <laughs> we're all okay no one committed suicide. Yeah. But like all of their disasters are like at the core of like all of their gossip so i can also kind of see it being like oh just like fuck it we'll create an exhibit and like it's gonna be weird and scandalous but like we all know it anyway that's true that's actually true yeah in that way mildred is maybe the best character of this entire book because she also like really runs that exhibit in a really conscientious and thoughtful way because there are people like one of her i think co-workers is trying to make the exhibit like more exploitive than it needs to be and she's like Mm -hmm. no that's not what this is and so she's very much like no we're looking at this in a really specific way we're not doing this to like just make people upset or like make people scandalized we're doing this because we're like examining the things like we're we're not in it for the shock value we're in it for the yes exactly yes which I thought was so cool. I was like, oh, I would have gone to that exhibit in a heartbeat. Yeah, it did sound like a pretty cool exhibit. It did, yeah. But but Quillerin meets up with her specifically to, like, gossip about Christy, which is super annoying. And what annoyed me even more was the, like, half a chapter dedicated to him picking out the perfect outfit and mentioning specifically that it's because Mildred is a woman of taste, unlike Polly, who doesn't care anything about fashion. He's such a bastard. And I was like, um, excuse me, are you telling 
telling me that you're gonna try harder for this woman than you are for your your own like love interest yeah because that's shady no i thought the exact same thing but um what we got out of that meeting was i think the name of lover's lane yes that's right her suggesting that he go check it out with the woman in his life which he did not he went by himself which i think that was when it started like every time he mentioned polly or he did some like anything i wrote in the margins oh they're definitely breaking up like i thought for sure he was like <laughs> this the... is not it is well. over and i thought for sure the next time he saw her it was gonna be like everything was over yeah well i kind of thought it was going that way too because he actually sees christy at lover's lane yeah but not in the way that you would expect it's true it's actually a pretty props to lillian jackson braun it also is a very like pretty little liars type like twist it, it actually i really liked it i thought it was great yeah so he uh he hears some arguing he goes down to lover's lane he's like hanging out at the creek behind some bushes being a weirdo <laughs> by himself as he is with his mustache love um, a guy in he... a bush with a mustache <laughs> <laughs> at lover's lane yeah lover's it's like lane. real peeping tom status <laughs> um but he hears he hears some some strong arguments some strongly worded some choice phrases some choice phrases strongly worded sentences of sorts mm-hmm. um and he peeks out and sees christy with her ex-husband who we actually forgot to mention yeah in the previous chapter but she gets a call while he's interviewing her that her no good ex-husband is back in town yeah um which is like very upsetting and she ends the interview very quickly and you know quillerin leaves and he sees a truck pulling into her driveway and he's like oh god oh no her husband's here and he calls her and she's like oh no it's just my friend who comes over my friend in quotation marks who comes over to help me in uh you know situations like these <laughs> which turns out to be mitch right which turns out yeah it turns yeah. out to be mitch a very age-appropriate love interest for yeah, her and they seem really adorable and happy together no which, it's so true you know, they're great so anyway back to this lover lane squabble that yes we right derailed from oh god so uh, the worst. It, and it ended up being christy and her no good husband who was back in town from prison he like yeah. walked out of a minimum security prison and like showed up so they're arguing because she is refusing to help him refusing to give him money just wants him to leave and i think she like at the end of the conversation she like offers him some i think she offered to like leave a meal for him yeah like at a certain place and was like this is your last like this is the last thing i'm doing to help you like get out by um but quillerin saves the day by throwing some pebbles in the That's stream true. and creating a diversion like literally the least he could do <laughs> yeah literally the least he could do yeah exactly um so he ends up being the hero regardless of the situation <laughs> oh, oh, Quillerin. i'm gonna um, make us t-shirts that just say oh Quillerin. <laughs> oh, Quillerin. uh so yeah he goes back home and i think this chapter ends with coco hiding under a rug oh i fucking love coco under a rug it is so funny <laughs> just a little bump just, just a little bump in the rug a little bump under the rug like he yeah that's true he starts doing it numerous times like throughout the book yeah and quillerin still doesn't it did get to the end and i was like your cat is a smart crime solving cat and you didn't lift the rug up at any point throughout this book no then i know there's got to be something between that and then christy and mitch coming over to quillerin's house but that's the next thing i'm remembering 
yeah so the next thing that happens is the disaster exhibit oh right okay um and then during that they kind of like discuss a little bit more about who is eventually going to take over the museum and Florence very much like yeah you know Mitch seems like a great guy he's really interested in this and like kid the kids love him everyone loves him and they're they being Larry and Susan Mm-hmm. are both like i don't know like boswell uh, boswell as in vince boswell the yeah. neighbor right um you know boswell's kind of kind of a shoe in he already works there he's got expertise status on this printing press like we're liking him maybe but like maybe mitch i don't know he's a good guy we'll see so also at the disaster exhibit so they talk a little bit about who's going to take over and then one of I think the most annoying things that Kaloran does in this book is <laughs> Polly comes up and asks him for <gasps> a favor, very vague. And I he was like, I will do anything for you except pet sit your annoying cat. And she was like, well, can you pet sit my annoying cat? She was and like, was I was like, literally about to ask you that. And he was like, <laughs> he was like son of a bitch. Fine. <laughs> He is literally the worst. <laughs> He's literally the worst. Yeah. So this chapter, like, in particular, or this, like, interaction in particular was, like, to me, the most annoying thing about yeah. Quillerian in this entire book. Because I'm like, you should know, like, you're crazy about your cats. Like, you yeah. do not let random people take care of your cats. Like, you are, like, stressed out leaving them for one night. Like, you should be a little bit more empathetic it's true someone who's looking for a pet sitter for their baby kitten who i know is like already kind of hard to take care of like she's probably feeling guilty about putting him off on someone well and this kitten too so polly's leaving for a conference like i think it's something work related that she has to go to mm-hmm. um and she's already taking like the shortest amount of time possible because she just like wants to be with yeah, her it's new kitten like a day or two. it's yeah it's literally really short i thought it was maybe even just like overnight like it was a really short amount of time yeah and like quillerin too a right like is on paper like seems like the perfect person to be able to, t- to take care of yeah, the cat her and significant I, other who has cats yes, like that would be the only the person that would come to cat. mind in like, my mind yes and exactly the same breed of cat too like the kitten is a siamese kitten mm-hmm. so it's like oh my god and it's like yeah it's just like really nuts that he's just so like immediately derogatory but that is where we get the nickname bigfoot which i do i i'm I with you really i fucking love bigfoot yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so polly drops off like it was right after i think the disaster exhibit it was the- actually two chapters afterwards really yeah it was a while before we get bigfoot in the house oh my god i had no idea what happens in those two chapters nothing um very important things actually <laughs> oh no okay continue <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Quillerin gets roped into pet sitting and then so right afterwards he gets home and I think he actually brings Mildred home with him because he was trying to pass off mm-hmm. no, oh ho ho it's not like that <laughs> I know I know um, he was trying to pass off Mrs. Cobb's cookbook to someone who would actually use it and I think he's trying yes. to get it published so he's trying he to publish trying... it yeah he knows that everyone in the like everyone in the community has already been like really like 
vulture-esque if that Mm -hmm. is a word towards this cookbook like everyone wants it and so he's kind of like I don't want this animosity towards me because of this cookbook so I think he's like a I think Mrs. Cobb would be okay with this and also like I don't want everyone fucking like banging down my door so I think he's (laughs) like I'm just gonna publish this so everyone can fucking buy it right and also he's giving it to Mildred because he's like I can't read Mrs. Cobb's handwriting I don't want to cook anything that's true so yeah you take it you decipher her handwriting you test all of these recipes i will taste test all of these recipes and then such a jerk (laughs) yes he's like you do all the fucking hard work and i'll just like eat your food food. yeah yeah what an asshole anyway continue so anyway he they get home and he's trying to pass this cookbook off ends up being missing someone stole the cookbook that's right yeah i forget Um, that's right so he panics a little bit because the door in between the museum and the apartment never had a lock on it and so he's like everybody just stay put right where they are i'm putting a lock on this door everybody freeze yeah so that's a big thing cookbook is missing big scandal mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and then the next big thing that happens is christy poor christy uh calls quiller in in tears being like don't, oh! run. don't run my goat story in your newspaper all my goats are dead they were all poisoned um i have no more goats this part was the most heartbreaking i could yeah. not even handle this part i was yeah. like well plus because i was imagining her house as the house next to mom and dad's house which is like this fucking beautiful like so it's this couple and they have um a bunch of kids and they also are what is are, they have a title within the county like the, they're, they're like county registered like reserve or not that's not the right so word. he he's actually a deputy at the sheriff's office he has nothing to do with her her job right she's like a nature but she ambassador is. yes that's what it is nature ambassador she they've had different they have like a it's like the cutest smallest it's definitely a working farm like i would say Mm -hmm. but it's so cute and small and like they at different points they've always had goats and they at different points have had the like pygmy goats which are fucking adorable and then they also (laughs) just recently when i was back in i think now they don't have the pygmy goats anymore but they do have the different like sort of the bigger the nubian i think goats they might have Mm -hmm. now but they're just so cute and like i just pictured this whole like that whole setup just I just pictured that whole area and like oh my god I think at some point when we start releasing these episodes I should post the picture or the video I have this really amazing video of when I was home in July and um mom so it was you me and mom that went for a walk and mom was like oh we should stop we should see the you know we should stop by and see the goats and there's a donkey in this field and like they're just all these really cute little animals and a turkey yeah (laughs) and so we walk by and mom is like such a fucking like just like child of the wilderness that she like walks out and she's like oh here's the donkey and like I didn't realize that this was like a definitely a two-way relationship like I didn't think this was just like (laughs) mom being like oh there's a really like cute like bunch of animals over here but we walk by and our mom like looks out and is like oh there's the donkey hi and like waves to the donkey this donkey comes fucking running to our mom (laughs) and so like we're kind of standing there being like oh hi donkey this mom like or this donkey comes like running at us and then like I just remember the donkey running towards me and then like veering towards mom and then they literally kiss like they kiss (laughs) on the mouth (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. It's so good. Did I ever send you that video? I'll send you. I think it's... I've seen it. I don't know Ugh. if I have it, but I think I've seen it. It is so good. Yeah. Not necessarily about goats, but to be like to go full circle, I just was so sad because I imagined those goats and like that those animals and how much like mom loves those animals and I love those animals mm-hmm. and being like if anyone fucking hurts those animals, I will lose my fucking shit yeah i can imagine that being a uh, sad day waking up on your farm and like yeah these goats like these were more they weren't like meat goats like they were never gonna be like you know taken out to pasture and like you know turned into glue like these were kind of pets along yeah. with like livelihood yeah exactly she was like i mean she was very attached to them but she was also making goat cheese and she was making mm-hmm. like you know selling goat's milk i think so like they were very much like long term yeah like um mm-hmm. like product investment type but also yeah they were like her companions and like the only thing i think that was really making money on the farm which was really sad yeah so, so the goats, yeah, the goats get poisoned. Everyone's really sad about it. It like gets you know through the grapevine and gossip and everything. Everyone finds out anyway, even though Quillerin doesn't run his story. Yeah. So we we never really get any like super hard evidence or proof, but it's like pretty well established that Christie's husband, her no good, terrible husband, did it. Um, so we hate him. Yeah. Oh. He's terrible. Yeah. Immediately. It's like you touch an animal, goodbye. Yeah. So then I think after that we we find out so through conversations christy then mentions mitch by name yes and so this is the first time that we're connecting like oh christy's mysterious friend who like helps her in time of trouble like that's mitch Mm -hmm. her friend in quotation marks a friend friend Hey, friend, friend. And Quillerin's like, okay, I guess I can stop being obsessed with you. Like, Mitch is a good guy. He's, like, your age. It's a better fit. I'll go back to Polly. Yeah, and then so is the next thing then their night? Like, Mitch? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that night was so interesting. I forget why exactly they have. So Quillerin has Christy and Mitch over to his house. Mm-hmm. and um they like of course thaw something of mrs Cobbs, and they talk and hang out and then it starts raining which being in la i was like yes please talk about the rain more mm-hmm. um and uh and then all of a sudden christy i like imagine it in this like really badass hysterical like blank stare type thing where she just like goes dead in the eyes for a minute and goes Emmeline will walk tonight. <laughs> like, and that's really kind of like a Professor Trelawney. Yes, like, she's yeah. having like a prediction. Yes, exactly. And so she kind of comes back to herself, and then she's like, "Do you guys want to come over? Like, it's raining, and like you guys have both talked about it before." She also says too that she she says that Mitch has seen Emmeline a couple different times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Quillerin is... And then he is very quick to be like, yeah, she's beautiful. So Quillerin, I think, is interested enough, especially because of the ghosts that he still hasn't really heard in the museum. Like, he is kind of trying to see if there's anything suspicious um, in the same way that Mrs. Cobb experienced at the museum. But the only thing he's experienced is uh, light bulbs, um, mm-hmm. which, uh, if you are into paranormal, you do know that potentially light bulbs, electricity, like, can be really creepy, like, spirit-wise. But it turns out that, so he has a, sh- a like, one chandelier in particular that is, like, 
it'll go like certain bulb it has four bulbs and like certain bulbs will go out at a certain time so like he'll go like change light bulbs and it'll still like go through the same pattern of like you know one bulb will be working and then two and then four and then zero and then like one and then seven or like seven there aren't even seven <laughs> but like it'll go through like a pattern you know of like um that he yeah, can't really like, they'll, they'll all kind of flicker on uh, yeah exactly sometimes yeah so that's the only thing he's experienced so far. So he's still really working the ghost line. Um, so mm-hmm. he is like, yeah, like I would, you know, love to go see it. So they go over to Christie's house, which is one of my favorite slash least favorite scenes of this entire book. I was so mad. So like they go over there and then there is literally, it feels like Lillian Jackson Braun just stopped writing. <laughs> you are like just reading, reading, reading. And you're like, yep, yep, yep. Okay. It's raining. Okay, they're at the place where the ghost usually, co- Emmeline usually comes. They're okay. And then, and then, and then you like stop understanding what's happening. And then all of a sudden, Quillerin is like back at his house and like, or like saying goodbye to them. It's like, oh, and then like the lights flicker and they're waiting and they're watching. And then they all like say something. They're all like, oh, beautiful, like wonderful. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah. I can't believe it. And then Quillerin's like, thank you. Good night. That's right. And he goes, like goes back to his house. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to read this ghosty experience that Quillerin and Christy and Mitch had together. And then we'll call it for part one of The Cat Who Talked to Ghosts. So... Let's see. Let's start with... Oh, let's start right here. Quill, would you like to see Emmeline? Mitch has seen her twice. Yes, I would, he said. The downpour had started. They collected their jackets and ran for the steel barn. As they drove up Black Creek Lane, torrents of rain slapped the windshield. As they turned into Fugtree Drive, flashes of lightning silhouetted the Victorian house against an electric blue sky. No one spoke. They dashed for the side door and arrived in the kitchen, wet. Still, there was no conversation. Wordlessly, Christy draped their wet jackets over kitchen chair backs. She turned on no lights, but she beamed a flashlight at the floor to lead them into the foyer. Groping through the incredible clutter, they found their way to the massive staircase and sat on the stairs to wait in the dark, smelling the mustiness of the house, feeling the vibration from the thunderclaps overhead, hearing the rain slap against the tall, narrow windows, seeing the panes glow blue with each flashing light. They waited. She's coming, Christy whispered. No one dared to breathe. The men stared in rapt silence. Christy shuddered and gasped. Quillerin found his blood running cold. The minutes ticked away. Then Christy broke into tears. Wasn't she beautiful? She sighed. Beautiful, Mitch said in a half whisper. Incredible, Quillerin said under his breath. The three sat quietly for a while, each with private thoughts. The rain relented, the tumult subsided, and Quillerin brought himself to murmur, What can I say? Thank you. Good night. And good night to you all. (laughs) I just love that part because it's so... Lillian Jackson Broad just literally doesn't even say in the text what happens. But it's cool because that's a ghost part, too. So it's like, you kind of don't know if the ghost is there or not. Yeah. I mean, I personally believe Christy because we all know I just love a uh, a good ghost. Love a good ghost story, yeah. Well, was it real? Was it not? We'll find out next week. <laughs> we will on part two of The Cat Who Talked to Ghosts. Woo! Woo, woo, woo! Okay. Goodbye. All the cat people of the world. <laughs>